Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Now, we've been going through the book of Psalms, and our author a lot of times has been uh, David, King David. Now, this psalm is different. Um, the psalms have different writers and different authors. I think there's 10 different authors including David. One is attributed to Solomon for sure. There's a, there's a psalm that's written by Moses. Um, and tonight, the one that we come to are the sons of Korah. So when we talk about the sons of Korah, obviously you guys know the story, right? Just kidding. So Korah, the, Korah is it's a, it's an interesting story. If you go back into the Old Testament, uh, in, in the book of Numbers, in I think chapter 26, the sons of Korah were the son, uh, is actually, uh, Korah was the son of the Kohathites or Kohath, okay, is where we get the sons of Korah. And in, in the book of Numbers, there was an uprising against Moses, and they didn't like Moses, they wanted to be the leaders, they, and there was kind of a rebellion that was led by Kohath, and he was a part of that. Now, um, as as this like showdown went, those who rebelled against Moses, Moses told uh, everyone who was a part of, of the rebellion to stand in one place. And all of those who were not, he told them to stand back. Like, don't get anywhere near these guys. And um, he said, if the Lord is with you, like, may, may God deal with me. But if he's with me, may the earth open up and swallow you. And so it did. The earth opened up and it swallowed Kohath in the rebellion, um, which is an interesting story. But these are the sons of Korah. So their father rebelled, but for some reason, these guys, they were spared, um, number one, and they continued to follow after the God of Israel. The sins of their father um, didn't necessarily, they didn't choose to walk in those footsteps. They didn't get bitter. They chose to trust the truth of God's word to follow the Lord. And so we have these, these guys who are part of the priestly line who would lead the nation of Israel in worship, in, in the sacrificial system, and all of that. And, and they were true to that. Now, this psalm is one of the most famous psalms, uh, including Psalm 23, which is I think the most famous of the Psalms, uh, whether you want to know it or not, you probably know Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? And he, he makes me lay down in green pastures. And you do the whole hand motion like church thing. Okay, that's, it's one of the most famous Psalms. Now, this one would be, I think, the second most famous Psalm, which is verse one, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. Some of you only know it in song. You're like, as the deer, and you're singing it in your head as I just sung it out loud. But um, I remember in my house growing up, like seven o'clock in the morning, we're getting up for school, and it was like, as the deer, and it's just crazy. <laughs> anyway, it's just ingrained in my head, and I can only hear it that way uh, to this day. But it was put to song, uh, and the nation of Israel would put this to song as well. Now, the sons of Korah are writing this, this psalm. And they make this really interesting parallel, really interesting in, in uh, what they're seeing in their time. They're looking out into what's around them, and they're saying, like, like this animal or like this thing that we can see, we too have this thirst in us. 
he makes the correlation that as the deer, it pants for water, meaning it's, it's desiring a drink and it won't stop until it gets it. Like it's on the hunt. Deers don't hunt, but unless it's for water. Like you never see a deer on the prowl and it's like creeping up on a bunny. They don't hunt. They don't have teeth like that. They don't have like claws. They, they feed on grass and all of that stuff. But for water, it's vital to their survival. And so the, the writer says, as the deer pants for that water, meaning that's their ultimate desire, will not stop until they get it. So my soul thirsts for you, O oh God. Says, with this desire to, to receive satisfaction in the soul, I can only find it in God, is what he's saying. As the deer can only find satisfaction in the water brook and has to find it, he says, so too my own soul will only find its satisfaction in its truest self or its truest form in God. Right? God is, the, is what completes us as human beings. It's, it's, it's what we're all missing and thirsting for is a relationship with God. Why? Because you were created for that. We were created not for, I don't know, have you ever thought about that? Like, why am I here? I don't, don't pull at that string too, too long. But like, have you ever thought, like, what is the purpose of life? What is the essence of life? What, what is the reason that we're all here? Well, it, God created us and it, the Bible tells us. Science tries to tell you, the world tries to tell you why you exist and it's just like an accident or it's a, you know, the universe will reveal itself or whatever. And like, you know, there's a spiritual world out there. And you're like, okay, but why? Well, the Bible answers that question. I don't think anyone else can answer it in truth. Like, Why? Well, uh, we ride on the back of a turtle or whatever. Why? The Bible tells us we were made for relationship with God, created in the image of God to have relationship with God. And that was broken in the garden. The reason that there is a thirst is because of sin. Sin separated man from God. In the Garden of Eden, when man sinned, there was this suddenly this, this separation between us and God where we couldn't come close to him because of sin. And it passed through Adam and Eve. It passed to all of us. It's genetic. It's, it's what we all have is this sin nature. But Christ came. Guys, Christ came to die on the cross that we would no longer, no longer thirst without ever being satisfied. Now we can be brought back into right relationship with God. And so the psalmist is saying, this, this desire that I have is, is something that I'm not going to stop until I get, and it's God. My soul thirsts for the living God. The living God. It, he makes the parallel between water and God and the living God. Okay, If you turn over to John chapter 7, verse 37, in the New Testament, um, Pastor John just talked about this last night, in fact. John chapter 7, verse 37. You can use your phone if you want. Don't feel bad if you're like, if you don't have a Bible, there's a stack over there. Feel free to steal one uh, or, you know, have one on us. John chapter 7, verse 37, okay? There's a correlation between this psalm and this verse, right? The deer pants for the water, for the, the water of the soul, 
that thirst after the living God, okay? Have that in mind. Jesus, on the last day, verse 37, on the, 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, which feast are we talking about? We're talking about the feast of Sukkot or, or tabernacles. It was the day of atonement here in, in the, the, or not the day of atonement, it's the day of Sukkot. It was this time where they would gather together and they remember what God did in the wilderness, how he led them by the way that he provided water from the rock and he provided manna from the sky and all that stuff, okay? And they would remember that. They would tell their kids about it. They would build little tents and lean-tos and camp. And they would look up at the stars and be like, you know, they would tell the story. They would recount it. So it's on the last day of that feast, that great day of the feast, and Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So it's on this last day, they're commemorating this, this rock that was hit. And as Moses struck the rock, water came from that rock. And it was able to water all the people. A million plus people drank from this rock. And Jesus makes the, the connection here and stands up on this day at that moment when that ceremony is taking place. And he says, that is pointing to this, this rock. And if you would come and drink of me, you will never thirst again, is what he told the woman at the well, right? Because he's the living God. He's the living God. And what the soul thirsts for is not just some dead ritual or dead religion. It's searching for what is real and alive. And so he's saying it's in God. It's built into all of us this thirst for, for the spiritual. That's why you have Joe Rogan telling people to do shrooms in order to have a spiritual experience. Isn't that crazy? You want to have a spiritual experience? Because people are realizing that we're spiritual beings, that we have a soul. And he's saying, if you want to have a spiritual experience, here's what you do. Take shrooms. You're going to see some weird stuff and have a spiritual experience. Those aren't the spirits you want to experience. That's the darkness. That's the craziness. That's terrifying. What, what the Bible says is that the spiritual experience can happen because you're connected through faith to the living God. It's as simple as drinking, he says. Come and drink. And he, he says, not only will you just be satisfied, you will become a spring yourself. Out of you will become a flow uh, or a spring of living water. But this he spoke, verse 39, but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom all those believing in him would receive for the spirit. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, but Jesus was not yet glorified. He was speaking of the Holy Spirit that would dwell in us. And so the psalmist is saying, as my soul thirsts for the Spirit of God, the satisfaction of knowing the Lord in that way, he says, so too. That, that's what I'm after. And it's not, I, I will not stop until I get it. That's what I'm after. And he says, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food for, days, for day and night. Why they continually say to me, where is your God? Now, we don't know where the sons of Korah are at this time. It's, it sounds like, as you read on, that they've been, they're outside of the fellowship of God. Like, they're not in the temple. If you go over to verse, um, verse 9, it says, why do, you, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? There's something going on where there's oppression and they're not able to come into like the worship house of the Lord. 
There, there's a block. There's, a, there's something between them and the Lord is, is what they're saying. They're trying to get there. And they're like, it, every day I'm coming up against this, this oppression or, or block or wall or whatever. And, and guys, I think John talked about it last night. Still in the whole Bible study. There is a spiritual battle that goes on. If you're convinced of the darkness, like we're coming up on Halloween. But if you're... <laughs> If there's darkness, and I think that's a, a lot of people that are involved in the occult and things like that, they're realizing that the darkness is real. And if the darkness is real, then the light is real also. The light is real also. And, and what we're experiencing a lot of times in our life is not just physical altercation, like there's difficulties in life. We've talked about it for like the last nine weeks, that stuff happens in our lives. It's part of life. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is not always what we expect. It's not always what we asked for or hoped for. We deal with some of the most difficult, most painful things in this life. Like, it's just part of it. And no one is promised, like, easy trails. That's the most hokey thing I think I've ever said. Easy trails. <laughs> Happy trails, buckaroo. Like, no one's, no one's, like, ever promised, like, your life's going to be simple. If you ever go to a church and they say, hey... Your life's going to be simple. It's going to be easy going from here on out. They're lying to you. Just straight up. If anyone tells you that, like, girl, if you marry me, it's going to be easy. He's lying to you. It's lying. Just like you can't promise that. No one can promise that. Um, that's insanity. Um, <laughs> that's why it's built into marriage vows, right? In sickness and in health. Um, whether I'm rich or whether I'm probably going to be poor, um, Promise me you won't leave, right? That's what we're saying. So, so what they're experiencing too, they say, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears, like I just can't stop crying. Um, it's been my food. He's like, that's what I'm eating. It's my tears. It's, it's filling up my stomach. Day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? He says, all this time, they're mocking me too. I just feel alone. I feel empty. I feel I'm crying. And people are saying like, where's your God now? Right? I'm going through difficulty. I'm going through hard times. And people come alongside not to encourage, but they say, where is your God? If God really loved you, like, where's he at? You know, the same thing happened to Job. Like his friends came to him and Job's lost everything. He lost his house. He lost his animals. It sounds like a country song. He like lost all his kids. They all died in a tornado. Like he lost all of his wealth in one day. And he had this wife who just told him like, just curse God and die. He then had boils all over his skin. He's scraping it off with a piece of pottery and just like, whoa, what just happened? In a matter of 48 hours, like everything's gone. And his friends come to him and they're like, dude, you are in sin. Confess. Like, you must have done something to upset God. A lot of them are like, do you even know God? Like, you're, you call yourself one of his own, but clearly you're not. And same, the, the devil will come at the time where we are, are at our weakest. And he'll whisper to you, like, where's your God now? Like, we always boast in the strength of our God, but here you are suffering. We're like, where is he now? So what does the psalmist do when that happens? He says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. What does he say? I pour, what does it mean to bear your soul or to pour out your soul? 
It means that you tell someone everything, even things that you probably, they don't want to know. I'm just bearing my soul to them. What does he say? I pour out my soul to who? To the Lord. Pain and difficulty have a way of creating intimacy with God. Like, I think it was uh, C.S. Lewis, he said, or Charles Spurgeon, he says, I've learned to kiss the rock, or kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Not kiss the rock. Not Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> Which, what a tasty dish he is. Um, you know? There's no recovering from that, is there? That was like a serious moment, too. It's gone. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Not the Dwayne Johnson of ages, but Jesus, the rock of ages. Okay. Right? So pain and suffering have a way of creating intimacy. Because I don't know about you, but you, it is really hard to fake it when you're going through something difficult. Right? When you're struggling and you're going through something hard, that's not when you're like, oh, brother, happy trails. Again, like, <laughs> everything's happy trails for me. <laughs> you're like, why, God? Like, I hate that person, and I hate that person, and you're an idiot, and whatever. And like, I'm just done. I'm done with all of you. Here you are going to Croatia and having a great time, like the south of Spain, and I'm over here slumming at McDonald's and just, <laughs> or Chick-fil-A or wherever you are, just like dealing with life and like, it's not fair. It's not fair. Guys, that, that, the Lord doesn't say like, only come to me with like your good things. What does the psalmist say? When I'm going through something like this, I go to the Lord and I start pouring out my soul to him. I bear my soul to the Lord. And I say, God, my tears are my food. Like, you, you see it. You have to. You know it. And so he says, for I used to go. Now, un, if you have a pen, you're taking notes or whatever, underline, for I used to go with the multitude. I went, right, this is past tense, with them to the house of God, with a voice of joy and praise, with multitude that, that kept a pilgrim's feast. Okay, so what the pilgrims' feasts were, were these three feasts every year, and the nation of Israel would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Men, men of certain age were required on uh, Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement, um, the, the Feast of Sukkot, and Passover. Those three feasts, they were required to make a trek, wherever they were, back to Jerusalem. They would come back into the land. They would come back into that holy city and they would be there worshiping the Lord. As they went, they would sing songs, songs of ascent. And they are written down for us in the book of Psalms. Psalm 134, uh, and you just look at the little title and say, a song of ascent. What does that mean? It means that as they ascended to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs, remind, preparing their hearts for praise and worship in the temple of God, in the presence of God. That's what they're looking forward to. They're preparing their heart for, for the coming of the Lord's glory in the temple. And so he says, we used to do that. We, I used to go. I went. But now it seems like he's not. They're not doing that anymore. And he's saying, that's what I looked forward to. I, I remember that closeness that we have with the Lord. I remember the, the fellowship we had with one another and with God. And it was such a wonderful time, but I'm, I'm kept out of that. He says, but why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. 
So he's, for some reason, they just got out of doing that, whether it was an enemy, like they were captured and they couldn't go, they were being oppressed by one of their many enemies. We don't know. But what we do know is that this is something they used to do and they're like, man, we can't do that anymore. But what's really interesting is if you look at that word countenance, it's the word that can also mean presence. So as they're thinking about, oh, we used to do this. We used to, get, we used to have this fellowship and communion with God. And then he says, hold on a second. He talks to, they talk to themselves. <laughs> Any of you ever talk to yourself? Uh, he's like, wait, why are you cast down? He's talking to himself. This is also in Psalm, Psalm 8, I believe. Why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted within me? Why, what is going on in my heart and in my soul? What, he's taking stock of his spiritual state. And then he says, hold on, I can hope in God. Why? I can access his presence. Guys, this is pre-cross. How are they accessing the presence of God? How do you and I access the presence of God? Through prayer. Through Jesus Christ. He's the door. So at any point, if you're struggling and going through something difficult and you're like, well, man, I used to go to church. I used to be reading my Bible and I'm just not doing it anymore. I feel disconnected from the Lord. Why are you cast down? Hope in God. You can access his presence anywhere, anytime. Through prayer. Through fellowship. Through, through his people, through church. like you, you can access God's presence anywhere, anytime. It's through prayer. What a wonderful truth. And it cuts depression. Like it's, it's crazy how, how anxiety-ridden um, we can be. I don't know if you've ever experienced anxiety. I, I never have until like three years ago. And I was like, why do I feel like I'm going to die? It was like, oh, I'm having an anxiety attack. I didn't know what it was. I used to make fun of people with anxiety. And then I realized this is awful. This is horrible. This is terrible. Do you know that anxiety is not something new? Do you know that even the psalmist, the psalm writers experience anxiety? They say, I'm far from God. They're panicking. And then he says, hold on a second. Before I let my emotions go crazy, before I let let this go too far, I'm going to stop and I'm going to consider the Lord. I'm going to consider his countenance. I'm going to praise him because I can. I can. No matter where I am, nothing separates me. That's what Romans tells us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Height, depth, length, width. Like there's nothing that can separate you from the presence and the love of God. And so he rejoices like, oh man, that's right, God, you're here. It's almost like he's saying, I don't need to go to Jerusalem. You're here. The whole earth is yours, the psalmist would say. The earth belongs to you. This is where you dwell. The earth is your footstool. I mean, he's just reminding himself, God, he's reminding himself through scripture of who God is. And I think that's one of the ways we combat stress, anxiety, worry, temptation, is with the word of God, the truth of God's word. And so he takes stock of where he is and what's true, and he remembers the presence of the Lord. He says, oh my God, verse six, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I will remember you. What's one of the keys to like having victory over depression and anxiety? Remember the power of the Lord. There is nothing more powerful than God. Even your depression, even your anxiety. And I don't want to make light of it because it is a real thing. 
Um, we never want to make light of what people are, are experiencing and going through, and it's deeper and it's darker for some or whatever, but it's never more powerful than God, ever, ever. It, there's nothing that is more powerful than God. And so he says, as my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermona. Like he just begins to span the country from one point to the other, from the depths of the Jordan, like the, the, the part that flows into the Dead Sea, the low point in the Mount Hermon, which is the highest point. From the hill of Mazar, which I don't know where that is. And then from the deep, he says, from deep calls unto deep, as the noise of your waterfall, all of your waves of billows have gone over me. You know who quoted that verse? Somebody tell me you know who quoted that verse. Dave knew. Yes. Dave, you student of the word. All your waves. Let's give it up for Dave. Do you have a footnote in your Bible? You do, huh? The little tab. Ah, oh, you cheater. Okay, not as cool. Not as cool. Boo, not as cool. All your ways and bills have gone over me. Jonah quotes this verse. When? Not when he's like, where is he? He's in the belly of the fish when he says this stuff. He's in the belly of the fish at the bottom of the ocean. Doesn't get more depressing than that. You think you've had a bad day? <laughs> have you ever been swallowed by a fish? Um, and covered in its stomach guts. That's a bad day. It's a bad day. It's a depressing place to be, I would say. And that is where Jonah reminds himself. Even in that story, Jonah reminds himself who God is. And he comes back to the Lord. So too, the psalmist says, all your billows have washed over me. Like the power of, of life and all of these things are coming over me. He says, but I remember the Lord. I remember the Lord. I come back to remind myself that God is more powerful. I have to allow that. Guys, we have to allow the things that we know in our minds, okay? If you know this in your head, it's head knowledge. Like we know, theologically, I know that there's nothing stronger than God. We've sang it as little kids in church. Maybe you're new to church and you're like, I'm learning that nothing's more powerful than God, okay? I can know that. But what is the Psalms about? It's about taking, re it's, it's about taking theology and bringing it into reality. Not just what I know of God, but what I know in my heart to be true of God. Afterwards, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so he quotes that verse. Anyway, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I, I, I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy as the breaking of my bones? My enemies reproach me. Why do they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Again, introspectively, he says, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. What's your hope in? Turn with me real quick to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, real quick, and we'll end here tonight. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. It says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness 
in a salt land which is not inhabited. Now here's the contrast. Verse 7. Blessed, or oh how happy is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spread out its roots by the river. And we will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So the Lord draws a contrast. He says, there's the person that puts their trust and hope in man. Meaning when you put your trust in something, you're putting your full weight on it. Like you trust this little chair to hold you up. Um, you're putting your full weight on it. You're putting your faith in it. You're leaning upon it. He says, when we lean upon what man can do and man's strength, he says, what will happen? Your heart will begin to depart from the Lord. And in your heart, as it begins to depart from the Lord, meaning you begin to trust in what man can do. Like, I don't need God. I don't need him. I got this. Trusting in my strength. Trusting in my own way. He says, you will be like a shrub in the desert. And is there anything sadder than a shrub in the desert? All right? It's just holding on for dear life. Its roots are, you know, like, eh. There's nothing. There's no fruit growing on it. It's just sticks. It's like a tumbleweed. Just, there, there's nothing fruitful about it. He says, but the man, the contrast, and in salt land, like nothing grows on salted land. Like when you salt a, a path, it, it, when you throw salt on ground, nothing will grow on that spot. The salt kills it. So nothing can grow, right? That's what the, the, the trust in, hum, in what man can do does, dries us up. And so he said, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who puts their full weight in God and whose hope is in the Lord. Look at the contrast. You will be like a tree planted, like firmly planted by the water, meaning you have a source flowing constantly which spreads out its roots by the river. Meaning you, you, not only does, does your roots go deep to that underground source, but it goes out in distance. So when that, look what he says, when he comes, there is a promise of difficulty, right? When it comes, you don't have to be afraid when he comes because its leaf will be green. Why? Because you're rooted in the Lord. Your strength is in the Lord. Your trust is in the Lord. And its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought. What will happen when we put our trust in the Lord? You're not going to be anxious about what's going on around you because your trust is in God. Your hope is in God. What a difference. When your hope is in man, do you experience anxiety? Yeah. And your heart starts to drift like the psalmist. Guys, find, find comfort in the fact that he started drifting. He's like, I, I'm crying all day long and I'm like freaking out and I'm worried and I feel like my heart is leaning, like leaning away from the Lord. I don't feel his, his presence in my life. I feel cut off from it. And then he says, hold on a second. That's impossible. I don't want to trust in myself. I don't want to trust in my plan. I don't want to trust in God. I need again, refocus my faith and my hope and I want to plant it back on the Lord and hold fast to him. And suddenly the psalmist changed. Why are you disquieted? Hope in God, I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So as I begin to praise him and worship him for just who he is, in spite of my circumstances, my countenance changes. I have joy again. I have hope again. I'm, I'm at peace again. My soul is satisfied again, like he said in the beginning. And, um, and my countenance and my help 
is found in my God. So that is Psalm 42. It's a wonderful psalm. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for the living God. And so tonight, like, you know, I don't know where you're at and what you're dealing with and where your, you know, your mind is and where your heart is and what you're feeling inside. But I just want to encourage you. It's a simple, very simple truth. Are you trusting in what you can do? Are you entrusting in the almighty, powerful God, which is, there's nothing too powerful for him. There's nothing stronger than him. Even our anxiety, even our depression, even the times where we're worried and freaking out, we don't know what to do, and our job stinks, and we're like, I hate it, and, but I have to go anyway. I'm just going to praise God and worship him, and, you know, crypto's diving, and you're not like, all my money, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're right there, I can see you. You know, like, all, you know, no matter what's going on in your life, like, you can just rejoice in God. Um, I want to encourage you, if you don't listen to worship music, why not? If you're like bummed out all the time, try listening to worship music. I know it sounds like not in a legalistic way. If you're like, but no, I love, you know, lo-fi chill. Um, and it really brings me zen or whatever. Like, okay, cool. Try, try listening to just worship music and see what happens. Like, just like we said last week, let's try praying for three minutes a day and see what happens, which you don't have to tell me if you did it or not, but try starting your day with prayer and worship and see what happens that day. See what your countenance is like. See what, where your, your head is and your heart is that day. It could be different. It could be different. My mom used to say, garbage in, garbage out.